one, two, three, four, five. Welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. We are on episode 47. Um, topic segment. Uh, things are going to sound a little bit different right off the bat. Just want to get that out of the way. Blue is not at home, so I am recording his audio through Discord. So forgiveness for the tinniness, um, because it will come through. Hello, I'm here to spread my socialist beliefs. Uh, no. That was a joke from what was said before. Uh... <laughs> um, yeah, so, <laughs> speaking of, uh, there is a, so the, the topic that I had, and it's something I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about on the podcast, but I've seen so many different people on the internet now talking about it that I just felt like I had to bring it up. Um, and look, well, at least look into it a little bit further. There is a, uh, a fairly large fan community around Lord of the Wing Rings, I would say. People who have... <laughs> Lord of the Wings, I try yeah, to fat guy in KFC. God damn it. <laughs> I am the Lord of the Wings. <laughs> the Lord of the Wings. Oh my god, that's that's what um the fantasy persona of Colonel Sanders, the KFC guy. The we Lord of the Wings. We need to do like a, a kind of KFC jam where we sit down, who can eat the most KFC wings, and they'll be the Lord of the Wings. God. That sounds like a lot of fun. All the really <laughs> fucking gross. <laughs> but, but I mean, like the it's a series that is so completely embedded in the cultural zeitgeist. Like almost just pretty much everyone's heard of it. Most people have yeah. at least seen the movies, if not read the books. And there is there are people who have de dedicated entire academic careers around studying the books, and they, yeah, there there are English majors that major in like Lord of the Rings, and they well fantasy literature in general and mm. they focus on lord of the rings um the the humanities are a very strange place to me like in terms of academia but i bring this up and this is something that i has been floating around the internet i've seen a few youtubers talking about it and i <laughs> what I'm, i think the best way to do this is i'm just going to read this agenda so okay. there's a Tolkien society, and it's yeah. just what it sounds like. Very hardcore people, people who have studied the works and you know know all of the lore and everything, and they love to talk and discuss and you know, I guess, fantasize. They have a summer event that is taking place on July third and fourth. Okay. It's going to be taking place over Zoom, and apparently it will be live streamed to YouTube. So I may check this out just to see it, and you'll get an idea why. So, um, here is the the, the program, the uh, the list of events, as it were. So on July third, the first event, Gondor in transition: a brief introduction to transgender realities in Lord of the Rings. Item two, the problem of pain portraying physical disabilities in the fantasy of J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, item three, in, no, the burnt hand teaches most about fire, applying traumatic stress and ecological frameworks to narratives of displacement and resettling across cultures in Tolkien's Middle Earth. That was just buzzword salad. Um, the invisible other. Tolkien's Dwarf Women and the Feminine Lack. It, it just... 
projecting Indian. Let's, let's, let's go through. First of all, this sounds like you could easily replace Lord of the Rings with like World War Two. It's just something that doesn't need. It's just not necessary. Like, it's yeah. It's, you know. it's not about Lord of the Rings. It's about how can we squeeze modern day cultural buzzwords into Whoa, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um. It just sounds stupid. All right, I'm. I'm saying it sounds stupid if I... Tolkien in the books because I haven't read the books actually said there were people in Gondor who were trans which I very much doubt he did yeah is it like a theoretical thing but I was when I was thinking about this this maybe but th this is what makes me think it's not so papers to be considered for the conference are but are not limited sorry um, papers may consider but are not limited to Representation in Tolkien's works, uh, in Tolkien Tolkien's works, race, gender, sexuality, disability, class, religion, age, etc. Tolkien's mm -hmm. approach to colonialism and post-colonialism, adaptations of Tolkien's work. That that one actually makes sense for this conference. Diversity and representation in Tolkien's academia, academia and readership. Identity within Tolkien's works and alterity. I don't know that word. I have a fairly like wide vocabulary. I have never heard this word before. I'm going to word again. A alterity, a l t e r i t y, the state like of altruism, but wait, old, old, like altruism, but alterity. No, it's the the state of being other or different, otherness. Right. Anyway, so it, yeah, it's just the thing. <sighs> so was... we're gonna get like. Grundlfnerk, the disabled drag queen orc. I, it's so, going to be about that kind of thing? Hold on. Here it is. <laughs> Pardon, on day two, it, it, it starts off strong. Pardoning Saruman, the queer in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Saruman's queer? That, yeah, that was kind of my reaction. It's Well, actually, beyond that, my reaction was, who cares? Like... It doesn't matter if he was gay or not. He was, like, the perfect person, and then he got corrupted and then led an orc army to slaughter the trees. Wait, you said Saruman, right? Yeah, Saruman. Yeah, okay, he's, not he's, Saruman. The, he's the, the dude in the white cloak with the, the two white towers, wizard, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, to be fair, that would make sense why he is, you know, without family, I guess? Maybe. Because, but the thing is, I thought in the books, like him and Gandalf and all the other ones, were supposed to be like supernatural beings. Like the wizards weren't really of the world. I don't know. I've I've only a secret order of grinder wizards. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I just I reading through this and like when I was thinking about whether or not I wanted to talk about it today, I, I was trying to think back in the books and I realized that one of the reasons all of this sounds so incongruous is I, there, there isn't even really a, like a romance subplot in the books. I mean, there's the whole thing with um, the elf lady and the guy whose name I forgot, um, the descendant, uh, the one true king. Yeah, is it? And Aragorn? Aragorn, yeah. And the, yeah. So there's that, but even that's, like, not a huge plot point. Not really. I mean, 
you watch Lord of the Rings for the fucking battles and the magic. Yeah, and then you the, the people who read the books, it's because of the deep lore and the, the cool history mm. and the fantasy setting. I, I just, I don't think that we need to have a conference where we speculate on whether or not, like, Frodo was bumming Sam. Well, that's the thing. Before you even mentioned what this was all about, and you were like, this is going to be a conference on Lord of the Rings, I was like, oh, are we going to find out who would be pregnant if Sam and Frodo fucked? <laughs> <laughs> but it was real! Yeah. Um, and I'd like to say, I'm, I'm making a lot of jokes about this. I think, like, obviously disability is a very serious thing. Likewise... Yeah trans people take it's a very serious process yeah this is completely unserious so i'm not going to make take it in a serious manner i'm gonna make a lot of jokes well the the thing is if if i had seen this agenda i probably would have wouldn't have looked twice if i'd seen this agenda and it was like you know eight out of ten items were about lord of the rings and like oh who the fuck is tom bombadillo or I don't mm. know, like, uh, let's speculate on what the hell the wizards actually are, or something like that. And then you had one or two that were like, one of these, let's see how we can apply cultural norms. Yeah, there's a lot of questions that could really, like, what was Gandalf's life like as a child? Because you yeah. only see him as an old man. Yeah, was he ever a child? Or was he just brought into just the world as this old wizard a man? godlike being, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even, like, a huge... I, I watched the movies before I'd, I'd like, ever read the books. Um, mm. And I did go back and later in life, when I was doing a lot of traveling, listen to the first and second audiobooks for Lord of the Rings. But... It is... Sorry. No, no, go on. I was going to say, it's very important to me, though, that if they're going to say all this stuff about the Gondorians and the Hobbits, they better also apply it to the armies of Sauron, because... I want to know about, you know, save all the Rukai and their pension schemes. <laughs> and their war wheelchairs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the fucking... <laughs> yeah. And... I want to know what happened to the, the poor bastard who ran up the walls of Minas Tirith with a, like, grenade strapped to his chest to blow up the wall. Yeah, that guy. Did he have life insurance? Did, did he have... Did he have to go through physical therapy after that? <laughs> I, so, again, I, to reiterate your point, I should make clear that we're not making fun of any of the people that, like, these sorts of... No, we're not of... making fun of the concepts, we're making yeah. fun of the stupid people that are putting it in a fantasy setting which, yeah. where it never has belonged. No, it's like, um... I don't know. If in the, the mid-2000s somebody asked, like, what would Luke Skywalker think of George Bush? It's like, mm. who cares? It's a completely different fucking universe. Can an end get wood? <laughs> I think by default. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I may or may not like. Obviously, July. I think, 30th. Yeah, it'd be great to like to listen to, but I, I don't know. Like, you can't take that shit with even a pinch of salt. Like, there, it's just so, so stupid. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 items on this agenda. And of those 16 items, uh, there is only... Um, 
God, I don't think there are any, actually. About what? That that aren't about one of these, like, weird modern... Uh, these modern cultural oh, topics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, hold on, I just saw one more. I, we can we can move on after this, but I just... Where was it? Um, there was one that just seemed very odd to me. Because it was talking about the... Yeah, here it is. Hidden visions. Iconogra- iconogra- iconographies of alter- alterity. This new word that I've learned. In Soviet block illustrations for Lord of the Rings. Iconographies for... Alterity. That word that we just learned. That's like all something, isn't it, you said? Yeah, it's it's other or something like that. Right, so iconography for alternate Soviet drawings? I guess. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Uh, what Soviet drawings? Well, I don't like know. Soviet drawings of, of Lord of the Rings. We'll have to uh, check it out at 11.30 Eastern Time on July 4th. Yeah, I guess so. They also have one about uh, Chinese translations of uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh. Anyway. That's boring as fuck. So we can, uh, yeah. Actually, the Chinese translation ones is is one of the, maybe the only ones here that is relatively relevant. Yeah. All right, we can move on to another topic, but uh, hold on one second. Yeah, so uh, second topic. I don't have one. Yep. <laughs> you said you were thinking you had something. Yeah, I've got one. All right, what's uh, up? And it's something that I messaged about. Uh, well, I didn't really say the topic. Uh, there's a fuck ton of demos on the Steam store at the moment. Yeah, it's one of the reasons that that I, I really need to get on doing five second attention span a little bit more yeah. religiously. There's like twelve of them in one text box, and they honestly all of them look really fucking good. Mm. Um, which is kind of even worse because they're not actually out. So I'm like, well, yeah. What was this one that you sent me? Um... So the one I sent you was one that I've seen someone play like weeks. Terra Nil. Okay. Terra Nil uh, is a reverse city builder. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, well, that's not really a city... It's not really a reverse city. I wouldn't really describe it as that. It's more like you're given a barren wasteland, and you put stuff down, and it, like, springs nature from around it kind of thing. Hmm. Um... I don't know. It's kind of, uh... It's interesting. Um... But yeah, hmm. I, uh, and there, there was a whole bunch of other like Animal Crossing s games, so I'm sure I'm going to be looking at at least one of them. That's something. That's that, another game for me and Alicia to play. That's something that a lot of um, companies or game companies demos have become like. We're we're kind of getting back to where we were in like the '90s and 2000s, where they would give away like basically a third of the game is a demo and just be like, play it. If you like it, buy it. And people would. And Yeah, but there used to be a lot more of a game in those demos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying we're, we're get, kind of getting back to that where they're, like demos will actually let you play a decent chunk of the game. Yeah. Although, <laughs> I'm just... 
and meanwhile, like they're off in their own little world. E companies like EA and Ubisoft, who just go like, "Oh, hey, you want to play uh, any of our game at all? Pay us three hundred dollars." Mm, indeed. And then for the rest of the game, you'll pass the subscription fee. <laughs> oh yeah. The um, speaking of uh, the Halo Infinite, like the full trailers and stuff dropped for that last weekend. And hey, yeah. um, were you on Halo yesterday? I was, yeah. Duncan and I were playing uh, Halo One co-op, yeah. um, on Legendary. So that, that game still really holds up pretty well. Yeah. What's what you're saying? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I was saying Halo Infinite. It looks really good. They've got like the multiplayer. First of all, is going to be free to play, which is awesome. Mm. Um, and then the campaign is what you'll. I think you get like if you actually buy the game, you get like some extra cosmetics, and then you actually get the full campaign and the co-op mode and all that. Um, but just the straight up multiplayer, multiplayer is is free. Um, and then they'll ha they have a battle pass system too that they're putting in to allow for that. But it's not like when the season expires, you lose access to the old battle pass. Um, if you ever bought a battle pass, you still have access to it, and you can actually buy previous ones and stuff and so if you yeah. see a battle pass and you're like oh i really like that piece of armor that was for that one i think the current one is shit you can go back and buy it i i would be annoyed if they had that system in there and made you pay for the multiplayer but since it's free to play i'm like okay you know they got to make money somehow and this will keep a decent sized player base um yeah and um one of the constant arguments against Battle Pass is that, like, you're essentially paying for more work. But then, if you think about it, you're, you're paying for a game which is technically work, by your logic. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a weird one. It's the psychology behind that. Well, it's the same sort of idea behind achievements. Like, mm. putting achievements in the game. You're not just playing the game to have fun or play around a lot of the time. You're trying to... It gives you a goal to work towards, which is kind of the point of a lot of games. Except the kind of open world ones, where you, like Minecraft, where you can just build stuff. Yeah. But I will be forever mad at Xbox 360 for having, you know... They were kind of one of the first people to introduce multiplayer as something you have to pay for separately. I fucking hate having to pay separately for multiplayer. Because as yeah. far as I'm concerned, it's a part of the game. Well, for the... Um, you're talking about for Xbox Live? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that then, started yeah, with the original Xbox. Jumped on it. Yeah, that started they with the original started. Xbox. Um, God, I remember... Okay. I remember play. It was the first game... Uh, the first... Xbox Live game I played was um, Mech Assault, I think. Maybe. Was what? Mech Assault 2 or Mech Warrior right. 2 or something like that. Some big giant robot arena shooter. I see. It's fun. <laughs> Miss those early days of Xbox Live. Yeah. Yeah, I think. What was the first multiplayer game I ever played? Um, the first, like, first person shooter I probably ever played was. I guess Battlefield Bad Company 2. Mm. Which was an amazing multiplayer. And it, I'm really sad that not many people play it anymore. So you can't really play it online. Um, yeah. The first... The first shooter I ever really played... 
at all seriously was the original Halo. And that one, it didn't have Xbox. Xbox Live wasn't around at that point. So you had to like hook the Xbox up to your computer and then use like GameSpy Arcade to set up like online LAN games if you wanted to do actual mm. online multiplayer. But I mean, the first shooter I ever played, period, was when I was like six or seven. And it was like a like a clone of either Doom or Wolfenstein, but that that same like aim down the middle of the screen kind of shooter where it's yeah not really 3D, but it sort of looks like it. Wait, um, that was multiplayer, you're saying? No, no, not multiplayer, just shooter in general. Oh. Yeah, first shooter I've played would have been uh, what's it called? Outlaws. That was one. Hmm. The I think I showed it to you, that super old cowboy game. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I've actually, I think I've seen that game before at like uh, you know, GameStop or somewhere. Yeah. Back in the day. It's quite historical. Um, but yeah, no, that was, uh, well, I think that was my thing. You had a uh, subject? Sort of, but not really. Um, it was just something I was thinking about. Because after, after we talked uh, last week about the whole uh, Discord stages thing, where we went and yeah. went into that debate channel and kind of... You were commenting on the, the way I was uh, talking with the, um, the people in the channel and how I was b being fairly patient and not confrontational, but... It, it made me think later, because, like, one of the guys obviously was. He was very much, this is exactly how it is, I'm right, and yep. it's just a matter of convincing everyone else. I I was thinking more on that, and I don't know. I feel like it's something that is becoming more and more of an intractable problem. Um, and I do think it is a problem when you've got people who are... I don't know, so entrenched in orthodoxy that they can't actually consider an alternative opinion or belief. Yeah. I guess because, I mean, it means a lot to them. I mean, I know it means a lot to you, but you're not extreme like they were. <laughs> it doesn't even have, I mean, that, I use that as an example, but it doesn't have to be religion. Yeah. It can be anything. Like, people who just could be as simple as food like you know can only have fries with ketchup and anything else is heresy mm, pineapple on pizza my mother and father both like uh, hawaiian pizza which is pineapple and ham mm -hmm. not a huge fan i don't i don't really like yeah but you don't like sweet things so i get no. why you wouldn't like pineapple pineapple is a bit more citrusy but yeah it's just not a i don't like yeah i, sweet I don't mind pizza. pineapple I'll eat it, but I'm... Yeah. It's not your favorite, yeah. Um, God. I've been thinking about pizzas all week. Um, I think I might actually have a pizza for lunch. Yeah? Yeah. I'm going to get me a sandwich and some crisps. Nice. Or chips, as you would say. <laughs> some chips. Uh, what were we talking about? I have no idea. We talked about Lord of the Rings, and then... Oh, 
Yeah. It, this was kind of just a vague topic. I didn't have anything specific prepared, but just the idea of like, uh, but I, what's a way to, to like bring that conversation around? Cause I was talking about people who are kind of firmly stuck in their opinions and not kind of willing to have a debate. There's always going to be some people like that, but yeah, I mean, that's just the state of online people. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I feel like it's bleeding into the real world now. There, uh, there, are, there are people I... at... So I'm going to just... A, a conversation... I'll give you an example. A conversation I had with one of my coworkers, right? Um, they asked about something, right? Mm. And I uh, gave a response that was kind of... It wasn't like any of the mainstream opinions, I guess, on this topic... And it clearly made the person, like, physically uncomfortable. And right. they almost reflexively spit out, like... It, it almost could have come from, like, a teleprompter. Like, the the way it was recited. Okay, what was and, the topic? Uh, I don't know if I want to... <laughs> uh, so, the the topic was... Uh, the It, it was the, the vaccine, right? Right, yeah. And I was mentioning that, yeah, you know, it's good if people get it, but I don't think that it's a problem if people who are young and healthy don't get it, you know, whatever. Right. And the person got very uncomfortable and then spit out the, oh, but we need to hit this this number to do this and you're helping save lives and da, 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 da. And it's just like, like it could have come from an official press release. Yeah. And I think it's, I'm seeing that more and more with like, for lack of a better term, normies, people who just like they're they're uncomfortable even considering something that isn't the prevailing opinion on a topic. Like not True. even considering it, just when they hear it. I think people who, if you don't know someone, then you're less likely to get a genuine answer from them. So if someone does actually know you, like this person obviously knew you, then they're going to be a lot more forward with their opinions in real life. Mm. Um, but unlike on, say, Twitter, where you just send out a message and everyone in the world can read it, and mm. you pour your heart and soul into it for God knows what reason, that people would not, that same person would not stand up in front of a crowd of people and speak their mind. Yeah. We've ragged on social media before. Um, I'm not but... ragging on social media particularly. I'm ragging on people for being no, but disingenuous with their beliefs. On social media or in real life? In so much, in such a way that they don't believe in their beliefs so strongly that they would say in real life, but they think that they're super protected online, so they'll say anything online, even if it's not what they strictly believe in. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. But that that does kind of come back to the point I was going to make about social media. Just that the human brain really what isn't equipped for it. Like, we're not supposed to be able to interact with a few thousand people at once, because you're, 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 you're your primitive part of your brain that keeps track of, like, your standing socially, mm. if it sees, like, even 200 people, which is nothing when you're talking about the internet, all saying bad things because you said something 
they didn't like or all saying good things because you said something they did like. That that basically tells your brain like the entire tribe hates me or the entire tribe likes me. And yeah. that can have some pretty detrimental psychological effects. Yeah, if you think about it, like back in in the days when we didn't have such technology and let's say you're in uh, a, a theater, right? Performing. Mm. You yeah. finish your act and like everyone in the theater would stand up and applaud. That would be like, what, 200 people tops? Yeah, something like that, moderately sized theater. Whereas if you're a professional person who puts something up on, say, Twitter these days, it would get like possibly yeah. hundreds of thousands of likes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think the proportions are all thrown out with it. Um, yeah. But it's definitely like I'd far rather have, you know, one person uh, singing my praise in real life than a hundred people who just clicked a button. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you you think that, and personally, I I think I'd be the same way. But you hear like stories about people who are these social media uh, giants, I guess. You know, big stars on Twitter, Instagram, yeah. YouTube, whatever. And they go through legitimate, like, depression if their numbers, like, dip a little bit. Yeah. Um, we were talking about... Um, what's his name? Uh, Jim... Oh, Jim Sterling, yeah. He won't say... Jimmy Savile, and I'm like, no, that's definitely not the same person. Ah! Um, and I'm not even going to explain that. Uh, yeah, Jim Sterling, he, he's going through a, a dark phase because he thinks that everyone hates him because of his recent life choices. Sorry, she. Sorry, they. I don't know. I think it's they. I don't um, know. I've stopped keeping track. And but he's like putting out a lot of fuck. I am terrible. But they are terrible. They're, they're not terrible. Fuck me. <laughs> this is hilarious to watch. They are putting out angry videos saying that the people who subscribed to them previously and have now unsubscribed are doing it because of their life choices and not the fact that they keep putting out videos about hating those people. The thing is, the, the quality of Jim's... I'm not even going to bother with the pronouns because it's just too confusing to yeah. me. The the problem is the quality of the videos that Jim was putting out, like, in my opinion, it started degrading, like, a while back. I, I used to watch the videos that he, whatever, they mm -hmm. put I out. I think it's Jim Stephanie Sterling now. Is that what it is? I, I think so, yeah, it's Stephanie. Um, I don't know. Yeah, Again, his videos just became a lot more political, didn't they? Well, not even political, just, like... They just kind of went down. A, I, I mentioned when we talked about this the other day, there was a video that when he was with the escapist that put out um, that was quite good and really well thought out. It was it was essentially like an essay on um, the way uh, child characters are in video games and how occasionally yep, writers used. use them as like a lazy crutch to go like insert thing character wants to save here instead of actually mm -hmm. making them characters in their own right. Um and I, I drew parallels when you were talking about the decline of uh, Jim Sterling to um, and a much older YouTuber, uh, Darkside Phil, uh, who he also 
was he also did like streams and stuff too on Twitch, I think. I don't know which one he was more popular on, but he went through a similar thing where his like his numbers started declining, his views started going down, his revenues started going down, and he started becoming more and more bitter and negative towards the people watching. Just mm. <laughs> there's there's an old uh, there are clips out there somewhere, but he's like, "Thank you, all you worthless humans, for the views." And he's yeah. like he's trying to be sarcastic, but he's very clearly angry at the same time. There was yeah, also a, there was also a bit of a controversy where he accidentally left his stream going when he was um oh yeah yeah having him time yeah uh yeah so I mean the the, the more recent story that's going around YouTube at the moment is have you heard this about Asmongold? I saw something come up on my feed about it, but I didn't watch any of the videos. Yeah, he's kind of... Uh, I don't know, I think he's just kind of sick of playing World of Warcraft. Mm. Um, but he's... He doesn't want to, like, just throw in the towel. And, like, uh, what's it called? Performance anxiety? He gets that a lot. Mm. Um, I think that's, you know... It's it's a really unfortunate thing because even though ninety percent of his you know fans or more they don't I mean I, I don't I don't think they even care if he played a different game but you know it, it's it's a safe thing keeping playing World of Warcraft and yeah. especially if you're anxious about it it's it can understand it being very difficult to try and branch out into something new yeah. I've seen that happen with multiple other YouTubers that I follow. There was a um, a YouTube channel that back when StarCraft Two was huge, um, mm. they were called uh, Lag TV. Absolutely loved their videos. It was this this Canadian duo, and they would uh, the they still they're still both active. One of them streams a lot. Uh, actually, I think they both still stream a lot. Um, and now they have a podcast they do together uh, called right. Technical Alpha. Um, it's pretty good. I, I really enjoy it, but they, um, the one guy, uh, Maximus Black, and the other guy was Nova War. Those were the two. They they, they did great like casts because they at the time you had like the the professional StarCraft casters that you know wore a suit and tried to actually talk about the game mechanics and stuff like that. And these two were just the exact opposite. It was like this guy's rushing over Good. here and he's kicking him in the ass, <laughs> just like <laughs> or something like just like all this. You know, he's you know, uh, the, the Zerg player is making the Terran look like a crybaby bitch right now. Like, just stuff like that. And it was... Yeah. It was very totally... Or very clearly two um, amateurs that just really loved the game and loved uh, talking about it. And they yeah. should... They tried to make the transition away from StarCraft at one point, but they didn't because their fan base was still really into it and um, complained. But they probably would have followed him anyway. I know I would have. Um, yeah, and they, and they because... would have got new people from the pe- whatever they moved on to. Yeah, like, but different. Fan. But they stuck with StarCraft, and so their their numbers kind of tanked after that. Um, yeah. The other example, of course, is is Donkey. He used to be like mostly League of Legends. Uh, right. A lot of his videos focused around that. And then, then he, but he made the transition away from it, and he's still huge. Yeah, and he openly says he fucking hates League. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't. Like, all of his complaints about that game are 100 percent true, and the, they're most of the reason that 
I don't play it at all anymore. Like I, I oh, held yeah. on to that game for a few more years after I finished. After I probably should have, st- I should have stopped playing that game in like 2018 because that's when it stopped really being fun for me. People go into that game knowing full well that there'll be times when you just want to punch a wall. So I don't think anyone yeah. can be surprised when someone wants to stop playing. <laughs> I broke a keyboard in half playing that game. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I punched right through it. I was getting so pissed. It's like someone we used, I used to play HOTS with. Because I, I kind of come come and go with HOTS. I play it for like a month or two and I stop playing for a month or two. And he was just shocked that I didn't want to play it at one point. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know. I'll come back to it eventually, maybe, probably. But, like. You need a break. Yeah. Because um, it's not always fun. Because you can have, like, literally eight game lose streaks. And you just feel like you're super shit at the game. Oh, my God. And it's everyone else's fault because you're getting pissy about it. And it's like, <laughs> nah, you just need to take a break and come back to the fresh head yeah um yeah that's what i'm trying to do with starcraft i'm trying to get back into it i've been um been playing well you know i've been playing through the campaign on brutal Mm. and i actually last yesterday i was streaming a bit of it and playing and i was getting my ass handed to me by the ai like in on two levels I just I, I couldn't I couldn't get around. I, plus, I'm on the Terran campaign, which is my absolute worst race in that game. But still, I used to be able to clear that campaign on brutal, no problem. Yeah. But I was legitimately struggling. Uh, I finally did beat the level that I was on, but it and it's weird. Once it clicked for me, like it just happened all at once. Like the first, like I was struggling, 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 and then all of a sudden, it was just like I've reached Zen, and then I was able to just plow through the level on that that second try mm. with no issues but yeah. yeah there's um i think i sent you a video of um someone playing the zerg campaign and they could they i think they're doing it on the hardest difficulty mm. and they were only allowed to use untalented zerglings <laughs> something like that that's and, legit oh no maybe it was that i think no i think it was that just none of their units were allowed to die that was it yeah yeah, yeah. That's they tough with Zerg. Yeah, so basically any game where any round where you get forced to have like Zerglings or Banelings, he just had to put them at the back and not use. Them. <laughs> There's a level which is entirely Banelings. I don't know if you. Can yeah, he that. has. A, it's a bonus level. He had to. He just had to not get because that's one that up. Wait, entirely Banelings? Did you say? Yeah. Uh, it was probably a bonus level. I'm assuming. I, it probably, I think it may have been. Um, oh. but yeah, no, I know there was when you cause you upgrade the zerglings in certain missions, don't you? Yeah, yeah couldn't yeah. do any of them because you have to use zerglings. God, I I I love that campaign. I'm looking forward to that one because that's that's probably my my favorite campaign because Zerg is my favorite race to play. Mm. All right, we're kind of uh, we've, we've actually gone over. Oh really? <laughs> we've yeah, we've just kind of been idly chatting, and the time went by. Yeah. All right. Well, Any final thoughts? Um, I want to see Lord of the Rings two with you know gay helicopter orcs 
and disabled Urukai pensioners. Okay. And that on, is all. And on that point, uh, this is going to be the end of segment one of the TMZJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you'll hear us again momentarily for segment two. Welcome back to the TMCJ Podcast. We are on segment two, our media segment, and uh, we did not do movie night again. Um, mm-hmm. Haven't in a while. It's my ch- it's my turn, and we just need to find the time to do it. Yeah, we watched two in one week, and then we watched none for the next two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, we're um, nothing yeah. if not inconsistent. Indeed. But I have been watching things, or rather, I and Alicia have been watching things. That's right, we've been watching Castlevania. The Netflix series. Oh, how is that? Based off of the uh, popular uh, Namco game? Is it Namco or Konami. Capcom? Konami. Konami? Somebody makes it. Yeah. Namco. Konami. <laughs> um, yes, uh, and it's... Some bits are what I completely expected. Other bits are completely unexpected. Um, for a... First off, the very first thing, it opens on a field of impaled skeletons, right? And I was like, hold on, pause. This is a 15. (laughs) That was the first thing you see when watching the series, and it's impaled skeletons with, like, spikes. Some of them going through, like, the skulls and through the eye sockets and things. And I'm like, 15. Okay. And this this is gonna be more like a rundown of, of the first episode and a bit of the second. Yeah, go for it. I did that with There's Lucifer a... like a while back. So Yeah. There's a uh, a lady going up to this massive uh creepy castle, uh through this, this wasteland of skeletons. Uh, a horde of bats like rushes her and she fucking like stabs one of them out of the air. There's a lot of viscera. Pardon me. Anyway, so she walks up to the, the door and it kind of opens automatically. She walks in and says, I want help with my science, basically. Hmm. And Dracula is there. Uh, but, you know, like a hot, cool Dracula, as opposed to, you know, Dracula, Dracula. Yeah. And he sweeps up behind her and he's like, you know, why should I give a shit? You're all scum. I used to you know, hunt you all, I don't so much anymore, but meh. Um, here's my science laboratory. And he takes her through to the science laboratory, and she's all like, oh, I want to do good for humanity, and maybe for you. <laughs> anyway. Sounds like a really cheap politician. <laughs> <laughs> so, it cuts forward to I don't know how many years in the future. And um, she's being burnt at the stake by religious folks. Um, and while this is happening, she's just screaming in the air, like, you know, don't, don't kill them, please, don't kill them. And all the religious folks are like, she's talking to Satan. She wants us to die. <laughs> uh, and there's all these people standing around watching her being burnt. Um. And then she burns. Uh, Dracula mm. turns up. Well, no, it kind of flashes back 
like 20 minutes then and Dracula turns up to her house and there's an old lady there like crying and putting flowers down by the house and Dracula's like what happened here um she says uh, the lady who lived here is being burnt currently for being a witch you must be her husband um she did really great things for me and my family because obviously she was just a doctor basically she was doing science mm. Dracula's like fuck the humans <laughs> <laughs> he was like ah she was the, the only thing for me she was my wife mm. uh, and scares the shit out of the old lady um and then he like disappears and well he, he turns into like a fireball and then disappears he reappears 20 minutes later at the pyre hmm. wife's just died the pyre explodes and this giant flame comes out of it with Dracula's face inside and he's like fuck you religious people I will give you one year to forget about your gods burn the symbols Otherwise, I'm going to kill everybody. Holy shit. Um, it's pretty intense, right? And so they're like, ah, fuck you, Satan. We won't bow to your whims. You're... She was a witch. You're a devil. Fuck you. And they start flicking these. <laughs> no. um, and so, okay, then it cuts. Mm -hmm. A year later. It's in the city. The big doors of the cathedral open, and this big pope boy, and when I say big, I mean uh, uh, lavishly treated, mm. is carried out onto a podium, and he's like, "Ah, a year ago we burnt a witch, and we were told by the devil that he would come and destroy us now." Um, a year later. But as he's the devil, he lies, and he has lied now, and we are fine and happy and good. And then the sky goes black. Yeah. <laughs> the sky goes cloudy, the sun turns like red, blood starts raining from the heavens, like skinned animals start falling from just the sky. And, like, uh, half jackal, half bat things come down. And just oh wait no his castle because he can move his castle mm. his castle just appears on the edge of town all these black beasts flood out of it start ripping people apart like gouging people through the back of their heads their eyes popping out the front entrails flying everywhere everyone gets murdered um. And yeah, and then Dracula's like, right, now that you've killed this entire city, go and kill all the other fucking cities. <laughs> like, just kill all the humans. God. Um, there's another jump cut. There is a lot of jump cuts, I will say. In the first episode, anyway. And it's a, uh, a bar scene. It's like a really uh, commoner bar. Um, this is obviously a little ways in the future where everyone knows about Dracula's curse and things. Mm -hmm. And this common dude is like, fuck the higher class. Especially the ones that use magic. They're the black magic users that 
are with Dracula. They've killed everyone. There's a higher class dude stands up in the tavern and like kind of like uh Geralt of Rivia style. Um yeah. kind of just they all attack him and he just floors them all. Mm. Like smashes their heads on tables and stuff. Uh he's like a the last son of this particular high family that uses black magic and fights the beasts. Mm. Um so even though he's doing good for them, they all hate him because he's using magic and the church doesn't like magic. Um that's pretty much it. Now he's he's moved to a he's gone to a different city for breakfast and the city has been like ravaged by Dracula's troops recently and the Dracula's troops are gonna come back again the next night. Uh yeah, and that's where I am. I I mean it sounds interesting. I may have to check this out now. Mm. But the 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 gore and viscera bit, this is like this seems like What's a kind a of a theme. Like what? What? Yeah, that's like I don't see how it's a fifteen. Sorry, go. That show that I I was talking about a couple weeks back, Invincible. Mm. That was another one that mm. some of the episodes were rated eighteen plus. Some of the, like the really bad ones, but there were a bunch of them that were rated at like sixteen plus. Yeah, I mean, there's been no, there's no like torture or, you know lack of consent or anything it's all been very quick deaths it's just been very violent deaths yeah i don't know i just i, I, I feel like that's that's kind of a trend with a lot of like modern animated stuff especially western mm. animated stuff is things getting significantly more gory and this i don't think it's i don't think it's like it's not scary it's not scary at all because mm. it's over in a flash and at the end of the day, it is just animated stuff. Um, there's a lot of eye stuff. There's a lot of like flying eyes when people get hit. Yeah. Um, which is not super pleasant. But I, if you like the genre and that's the only thing turning you off of it, I would still suggest you watch it. Because so far, I've only watched two episodes. It's pretty fun, cool. Hmm. Yeah. I never played... Actually, I take that back. I played Castlevania... I think it was Castlevania Symphony of the Night for the DS. Yeah. That's the only one I've ever played. I've never played any of them. I remember I bought one of them for my brother. Um, and I think I've watched a YouTube video or two of like people playing it. But like the video game's all about being in Dracula's castle, though, isn't it? And fighting your way up to killing Dracula. Yeah. Yeah, you um, fight your way so through, like, is... minor monsters, pick up weapons and power-ups and things, and then eventually, yeah, you fight Dracula. Yeah, this is more like... Well, I mean, it's not it's not exactly the same, but, like, imagine you take the characters from Call of Duty, the franchise, make a movie out of them, but it's when they've returned from war and they're just doing their everyday sitcom-esque lives. <laughs> like, They've they've taken all the characters, they've moved them somewhere else onto a larger scale playing field, and just said, "Here's what happens when these characters clash." Interesting. So I'm wondering if the guy in the bar, I think the the character you play as in Castlevania, I'm pretty sure his name is Alucard, which it's Dracula backwards. Yeah. Um. I think... Yeah. No, it's it's not Alucard. It's um. I can't remember his name. He has got a name, though. 
I, I I did look it up by the way. It is Konami that that makes it. Um, yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah, Castlevania: Dracula's Curse. Mm. Uh, also, I think if you liked, oh, what was that? Uh, what was the Alucard vampire hunting anime that I watched recently? Helsing, probably Helsing, Helsing Ultimate. If I'm, if you liked Helsing, you'll like this. Hmm. It's less cheesy. There's no, you know, holy guy screaming every time. Amen. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Uh, or maybe there is. I just haven't got to that part yet. Okay, um, so... Just like throwing yeah. knives and scrolls at people. Also, the the holy people are definitely considered the evil people in this in this show so far. Mm. Um. So much that they're even like beating up people who they. Uh, they the, they make scapegoats of people, run them out of the city, so that you know they don't look, lose faith. Face. Mm. They walk around with maces and knives and shit. <laughs> um, yeah, not nice people. Very much the Inquisition. Mm. And they hate like science and medicine and stuff. So. Mm. Yeah. God, that was an mm. interesting. I can't remember when exactly it happened, but like, uh, just as a, a point on medieval history, and I think situations like the the Inquisition and like um, some of the things that happened around the Black Death have given like people the impression that religion was uh, very much opposed to scientific theory, but in the Dark Ages in particular, like they were the only people doing science. Like monks and monasteries were the ones actually doing research yeah i think that it's it's the same with any group of people there's always one like the the the, the grapes that spoil the batch as it were mm. um like the whole you know priests names are forever fucking tarnished because of those fucking douchebags that you know did the terrible things yeah that did the kitty did one go yeah 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 and uh yeah, no, it fucking ruins that whole reputation, and it's terrible. There's some interesting, like, uh, not to get, dwell on this too long, because I actually remember, I, I have been watching something this week that I could talk about. Um, mm. But it's like the uh, the whole idea that everyone thought the world was flat before Columbus or something like that, and before, like, the explorations, like, that's uh, yeah, was it's it not Archimedes? true. No, it... They, they, yeah, the people kind of knew the Earth was round all the way back to Greece, but there's a false, like a false, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's like just popular knowledge that fallacy. people, yeah, a, a, just a, a fallacy in people's understanding of history that they think that before um, people sailed across the ocean and found america they thought it they thought the world was flat and you just fall off the edge it's not true yeah they people found out the earth was round and then they knew it all the way back you know in the bc era like the the greeks were measuring the curvature of the earth and it's great because you can you can take that kind of stuff that misunderstanding in history and make a really good story out of it mm. um i just think of like uh you know terry pratchett yeah his world, the disc world, is a disc yeah. on the back of four elephants on the back of a turtle flying through space. Yeah, I think it, it pulls like, it from some Indian 
mythology. Like, um, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I'm pretty sure it's it's part of Hindu faith, maybe. I mean, if it, yeah, it it does kind of sound a bit Hindu because of that the animals, um, and like the the tears, I guess. I'm I'm just looking at yeah. Apparently, it's it's there's a few different things in the creation stories of the. Len- Lenape and Iroquois people, the earth is created as soil is piled on the back of a great sea turtle and continues to grow until it is carrying the entire world. Many indigenous tribes of North America. I honestly, I thought, I, th- I thought that uh, it was also something. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's it's actually a belief that's spread around. They also believe it in. The world turtle in Hindu mythology is also known as Akupara. Um, And in Chinese mythology, the creator goddess uh, Nuwa uh, cut the legs off a giant sea turtle and used them to prop up the sky. So it's apparently in in a couple different... What a uh, bitch! Yeah, right? What turtle? Exactly. I Why didn't knew... it just pull its legs into the shell? Oh my god. Alright, so... The, the the Chinese goddess that did it was a little bit more of a bitch, but, you know... It's shared with these other ones. Yeah. But no, like... Yeah, as you say, there's all these different interpretations of how the world could have been... In people's minds, could have been made. Like, uh, another great one is the, the Norse world, where yeah. it's... Everything is surrounded by... Uh, the Ouroboros? Uh, yeah, the Ouroboros. It's a snake that eats That's its one. own tail, and it encircles yeah. the world. It's the child of Loki, one of the child, children of Loki. Yeah. And there was, there was also a wolf, wasn't there? Loki Fenrir. fucked some weird shit. Yeah, Fenrir was also the, the giant wolf. Fenrir, Fenrir the wolf. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, like, God, if you're world building, use some of this shit, because... Fucking cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, not to go off on history too yeah, much. Sorry. Uh, so I, um, I've been watching Star Trek: The Next Generation before bed lately. Oh uh, yeah. Just I've I've seen the series once before. I was never like, I never knew pretty much anything about Star Trek until like the modern movies came out, and I saw one of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, after it came out. Uh, with some friends, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And it got me interested a little bit. And Next Generation is one that I'd heard good things about and always wanted to watch. And a couple of years back, I watched the whole series, and it was. It was excellent. Um, and I'm just kind of re-watching a few episodes now, uh, just as something to kind of chill out and relax to before I fall asleep. And I just, I'm struck over and over again I keep watching it and thinking, like, they they would never make a show like this now. Or if they do, th- that show, like, I, I haven't heard of it. Is it not woke? <laughs> well, it's not not only that, it's just everything, that, like, they, they really... It's very slow-paced in times. Like, it's less... Because they, they couldn't really... They didn't have the special effects, they didn't have the budgets, so they couldn't do a bunch of on-screen actions. So there's a lot of inter... Like, a lot of um, moral and philosophical debate that goes on in an episode. Like, the one I just watched was 
there's a non-Federation uh, planet, and they're there just on a basically just on a trade mission, like dropping off some medical supplies, and then they get something from the people on the planet. But and there's apparently like um, an insurrection on like the southern continent on the planet, and these people are trying to get independence by blowing up buses, which always works out so well. Um, yeah, and the during their their way like the the chief medical officer the doctor on the ship gets kidnapped by one of these terrorists mm. and they spend like the the like she's with them and like starts to see their point of view and starts to have like a begrudging like sympathy or empathy for the the guy that's in charge of the movement um but then from the other side you see like the the security leader um who's working with the uh, the rest of the crew to try and figure out where she's been taken and get her back and everything. And there's just, they, they, throughout the entire episode, they never, the people writing it never took a side. Like all the characters are constantly, not arguing with each other, but they clearly all have slightly different, but strong convictions. Mm. Like the doctor um, is empathetic to the uh to the the terrorist leader but at the same time she is like you should be you shouldn't be doing this with killing and she, then he says something that's very true it's like you came from an idyllic society and that idyllic society came out of years and years and centuries of conflict um like you're you're at a perfect state now but 100 years ago 200 years ago what were you um yeah. and then you know, the Captain Picard, he's obviously like, you know, we don't negotiate with terrorists, basically, uh, is his stance. Like, they, they kidnap him at one point in the episode. And um, anyway, they, and then the terrorist leader, like, eventually starts to get infatuated with the doctor, but still is so, like, committed to his cause. He's like, well, I, you know, I may have to kill your captain. He goes to actually blow up the ship, and he knows that, that woman's son is on the ship. Um. And he, the whole idea is to do that, to bring the, the Federation in so that they become a third party mediating the dispute and they're forced to give concessions to the terrorists and stuff like that. It's a very complicated plot, but once they kidnap the captain, they figure out where they are um, and are able to send like a small team down there to, mm. to take them out. And the whole thing culminates in this moment where the terrorist leader realizes that they're about to be taken down and he rushes into the the room where he's got the captain trussed up draws a pistol and is about to kill him um and then the, the security the head security officer shoots him in the back and um like the terrorist leader yeah and kills him and then this kid who was with the terrorist cell also has a gun and has it pointed at the the security officer that was doing it and eventually they manage to talk him down he puts the gun down and but it's it's a very unclean like ending that doesn't give you like satisfaction it, does, it yeah and it doesn't it doesn't give you a clean answer like the episode it, it a lot of the episodes in this series are designed that way they just like they don't give you a clean answer they're just like here this is what happened this is everyone's opinion yep. you think about it and does Kirk fuck someone one of the aliens. <laughs> Kirk isn't in this series. Uh, Kirk oh, was the original okay. Star Trek. This one is Next Generation, so it's got like Picard and 
all the other ones. But there there was a uh, a line at the end there. Um, it's uh, where the head security officer is talking to the um, the first officer of the ship, and um, uh, he says something along the lines of, you know, why did you why did you kill him? And um, she says something along the lines of, in prison, he would have been a cause for them to rally around. In death, he's a martyr. But at least in the short term, the violence will die down a bit. And yeah. it was, and she, she looks back up at him and says something along the lines of, I told you, this nothing, there's, it's not, um, it's not clean, but it's, it's what we have or something like that. I can't remember the exact line. It was really good. Yeah. But essentially, it's driven it's home. what you had to do in the moment kind of thing. Yeah, and it's driven home that they're they're like in a very, very messy situation. And they've just, they're trying to make the best of it. And then the point uh, the other guy makes is uh, she's like, uh, when the, the kid goes away, he puts on the gun and they take him away. Um, she's mm. like, and already there's his replacement. And yep. um, the, the first officer says, or maybe the cycle will break with him. Maybe it starts with one child putting down his gun. You could break the cycle at him by shooting him in the back of the head now. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the cynical. It'd be very unethical. That's the cynical option, yes. Yeah. But it would work. I'm just saying, if this was the world of Red Rising, that kid would not be there for another second. That is true. He would probably just get shanked. He would, yeah, just not even that, just like fucking death grips from behind by Spock. Spock, could definitely <laughs> Spock is also gold. not in this series. He makes like a cameo later, but... No um, Vulcan death grip, man. No. But this is... Um, I don't know. I, I, really, I really do like this series. And th what, why I say it would never be made now is not because they don't have the whole... Um, you know, the, the they don't meet a diversity quota. But mm -hmm. they, they actually... It's because... They don't give you clean answers in a lot of episodes. They, they every episode is kind of tailor made to to, to like challenge you to really. Th they tackle some pretty, pretty intense Dark topics. Yeah, it's not, not always a happy ending. Yeah, challenging topics. Um, I think they still do that these days. It's just slightly rarer. I think it. Well, the other thing is, it's also the the series in general has a kind of a uplifting kind of hopeful feeling to it for the future <laughs> like even though they they go at these very tough and challenging topics it resolves in a way that isn't sarcastic isn't cynical it, it gives you it kind of it, it has that hopeful vibe to it it has a bright outlook for the future that mm. you know even with all this struggle and adversity and these age-old philosophical problems there's hope for the future which is something you don't get in a lot of shows now. Like the the, I mean, pretty much everything now has either a sarcastic or a cynical vibe to it. Yeah. Mm, I guess so. Speaking of uh, sarcasm, mm. this is a very tenuous link. Uh, when when's the next Peaky Blinders season out? I don't know. I was actually thinking that there's a few series that I haven't um, seen anything from in a while. Let's see. So season five had just come out. When... Did we finish that? 
I I think so. Yeah, the last thing we so the uh I can't remember his actual name. The uh the owner of the, a certain gang in the uh, fuck the, the 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 Jew dude was back. Yeah, the baker. Uh yeah, what's his name? Um I can't believe I've forgotten he's like my favorite character. Even I know, I can't him. remember his name anyway. Honestly, I the only people I whose names I still remember are like the core group of Shelby's. Mm. I've forgotten most of the other... In every oh. episode. Yeah. yeah. Like, Tommy Shelby, John, Arthur. I mean, John's dead. Yeah, John's dead. I mean, that was no great. He was a bit... Well, I think they, eh. they he died at the right point, like because he he had a fairly decent role in the earlier seasons, but they were kind of he was he was kind of run they were running out of things for him to do. In the well, series. he never really had anything. He was always a background character, despite being in the core group. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Like he, so Arthur Arthur was obviously like. The loose His cannon specialty muscle. was like, yeah, loose cannon, crazy, war-experienced. Tommy's obviously the fucking brains. Like, even the new kid is like the accountant. He knows all about the money. John's just a fucking dumbass. <laughs> who's a slightly less crazy version of Arthur. Like he's he's just a, a a smaller version of Arthur in every way. Well, he's he's a mix between Thomas and Arthur, I think, because he's he's a little bit of muscle and brawn. He's a little bit off the the chain, but he also is a little bit more thoughtful than Arthur would be. So he's like, I always saw him as like somewhere in between the two of them. He's the bridge between Tommy and Arthur. Mm, I don't know, but yeah, I can understand why. Yeah. But no, when's the next episode? Because fuck me, I'm not playing that game. <laughs> yeah, I gotta look back and see if uh, we can use any of that footage for a video. It's just... I mean, yeah. there, there wasn't we really... We can't, and we'll rail on it in the next week's podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's always that. There. Oh, by the way, yeah, for those that don't know, there's a Peaky Blinders video game. We played they a little buy bit. buy it. Yeah, it was a little <laughs> underwhelming. Hmm. Did you get a refund for it? Uh, I don't think so. I think I just kept it in my inventory. It'll okay. be one of those things that maybe I'll go back to at some point. Yeah, I didn't refund the, it. I don't think it was too expensive anyway, was it? No, no. I It was like 20 bucks or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, $25. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, but yeah, that's that's what I've been doing this week. And the last thing, uh, just to round us out, because we got like five minutes or so. Before we finish this uh, segment up and this was just something I was thinking about when I was recording a video yesterday because uh, I was recording more Oni that PlayStation 2 game I've been playing through yeah and then yesterday in the later evening I was playing Halo and the same design the same uh, developers made both games uh, Bungie was or Halo came out or sorry Oni came out first and then Halo came out later Oni, you can see a lot of the ideas that they were going to implement in Halo in Oni. Mm. Um, Oni being like an action, like kind of brawler for the PS2 and PC. And Halo obviously being a famous first person shooter for the Xbox. Yep. Um, 
the one thing that was like driving me nuts is like their level design is super inconsistent. They they gyrate between uh, giant wide open environments where everyone else has a machine gun and perfect aim and you don't. And keep in mind it's a brawler, so mostly it's based around like punch and kick combos, which by the way are insanely difficult to pull off. It's like you have to do it's like fighting game stuff. You have to do like frame perfect like button presses to get them to go off. Yeah. Um, and half the time I just don't bother because of that. And then then randomly th- this part's already up it's the last uh part that i i've uploaded uh, i want to say part six or seven randomly there was this amazing level like it was so much fun the level design was so cool and interesting and then i realized they used this level design later in halo it was almost exactly the same thing like where you have two parallel bridges and then there's a long drop below and you kind of have to work your way around central mm. bits on the bridges and there are enemies above and below you and you have to kind of do a little bit of stealth and a little bit of fighting and in and out of cover. It's it's a very fun level to play, even with the like the wonky controls. And then the level immediately after that, it's like chewing on glass. <laughs> it's fucking... <laughs> <laughs> the level immediately after i think i recorded for close to 50 minutes and i'm not done with the level yet because yeah. i just hit this point which is so difficult and it, there's so long in between the checkpoints that it just uh i think i'm near the end of the level though i gotta finish recording yeah you do kind of um spot these things in in games that you've played a lot you do see Patterns occasionally appear on new games, like, uh, so take CS:GO for example. You remember Dust Two map, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about it, Dust Two and Invalorant, the Italy map, is it the one? The one I was thinking of. Yeah, I know uh, yeah, the one the, you're talking about. Yeah, guy. It's a very similar structure. Very similar map. Like, there's you can go mid where there's double doors on the CT side. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go B, you go through like that small little uh, corridor uh, house room thing into yeah. B. Um, A is pretty different. I hang on, I'm trying to picture the Valorant one now. Yeah, but like you can definitely see where they've taken. Well, aspects of the games whether it's multiplayer or single player whenever you're playing like an action oriented game a shooter a brawler anything like that mm. um even exploration games like the the way the map is designed and laid out and how it unfolds for people playing it like it really has a, a profound impact on the game oh yeah like like sorry no, I'm just I'm just thinking like in terms of multiplayer um, games. The one of the reasons I I love Halo Two so much and just playing back on those old maps feels so good is they were just they were so well designed with a with a couple exceptions. There were a couple maps that were just mm. absolute ass, but the vast majority of them were, were great. Bungie was very good at this thing back in the day, um, and you can kind of see that they got good at it by yeah. the time they hit Halo because only the the map. Map quality is a bit inconsistent. Hmm. And there's definitely, there is definitely, because you, you said some of the maps are ass, there is a difference between a good map and a bad map. Uh, using the CS 
Go examples again. You remember Lake House? We used to play that all the time. Yeah. Um, where it's got it's got a bit of everything. It's got the long ranged field. Mm. It's got the very short ranged Lake House. It's got water. It's a very beautiful map, I should mm. say. It's got like a boathouse where there's like water mechanics. If someone jumps out the water, you hear it. There's a roof. There's multiple floors. Yeah. Um, it, it's. Well, it's, it's got everything. It's one of the reasons that I like that map so much is because it, it encouraged my favorite type of thing to do. I love like taking advantage of lateral thinking when I'm playing in a multiplayer mm. game. I the like fucking banister trick you do. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a there's an area that people always hide. And so I hide um, in an area that makes it so I'm not immediately visible. People aren't expecting me so I can surprise them and I can see from three directions. And I can immediately mm. change to any other position in the house very quickly. I love that spot. I just... I, I think I remember when you first did it, I was like, that's a really fucking stupid spot, mate. You're going to get spotted and shot. <laughs> like a game later, I was up there crouching on the balcony with my shotgun pointed 180 degrees down. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like... It's, it shouldn't work. It's such an idiotic spot, but because of the way that maps like dynamics work... It's almost like you're invisible sitting there. Yeah, because because when when people are coming up up the steps on the outside, mm. you're just high enough because you're on top of the banister that people can't see your feet. Yeah, and so they just run up there. They don't see anyone there. They keep running up, and then when they get to a certain point, they still can't see you because there's like fit in the way, but you can see their legs run them running around. Yeah. And uh, it's just a fantastic thing. Um, another, probably the quintessential best map that most people will know mm. is, um, you might not know it, because I don't know how much COD you've played, but uh, do you remember the map Rust? No. Wait, that sounds really familiar. I'm thinking of the game Rust. No, I don't know it. It's like a, uh, a small which is important in maps quite often. Small maps are quite often better because you get more action. A small, literally square map is the middle of a desert and there's like a old-ass broken oil refinery or something. It's just like a heap of metal at a building. But it's got multiple tiers. It's like a mountain. Uh, you can go through it. You can go under it kind of thing. You can go on top of it. And there's this whole area around the side. It looks like crap because it's in the middle of a desert and there's a bunch of rusted metal. Hmm. But it's a brilliant map. Um, Cod's actually got a few good maps. They got Nuketown as well, but they played the shit out of that. They yeah, Nuketown I've, used I've heard of Nuketown. before. Yeah. yeah, everyone's heard of Nuketown because they put it in like six different games or something stupid. They put it in Zombies maps. They've put it in the mobile version. They've it's uh, it's played out too much. But there's a great original map. Halo has its share of those maps. There's a map that's plagued. I say plagued. This is like the favorite MLG map in most of the original Halo games. In Halo Canyon. 1, it was called Wizard. Uh, in Halo 2, it was called Warlock. In Halo 3, it was called either Warlock or Warlord. They just recreated it again. Yeah. It is a perfectly symmetrical octagonal map with four bases and a central pillar in the middle. Mostly open, some raised platforms, some underneath areas, but still mostly open. It is a map 
tailor-made for the battle rifle, which is the mid-range spawn weapon in Halo mm. uh, 2 and, and 3. I hate that weapon, um, and I hate that map, because that is the least <laughs> Halo map in Halo. Like, yeah. Halo is about interesting and interesting environments. Like, you've got a... Like, Lake House. It's got a kind of a diverse array of um, different areas and strategies that you can use on it. That map, you have one strategy and one strategy only. Mm. So, like, I, I have... I had no respect for people who were good on that map because, okay, you've proven that you can use the frag grenade and the battle rifle, die in two seconds, and then come back and use those two things again. That's it. Yeah. You have one skill. 90% of the game, you probably suck at. Like, that... that I, I absolutely hated that map and it came up so often and whenever there was a choice between that map and something else people always played that map mm. and i just i despised it anyway we're, we're we're kind of going over now so um god we talked about that that map thing a lot yeah long sorry, ago, that was a good topic <laughs> yeah i, I should have brought that up at the beginning um uh, anyway so we are going to be in segment three continuing and well finishing up the review of red rising the first book um it's now been two weeks since i finished it so um it's not well a week since i finished it so it's not gonna be fresh in my mind i should still be able to recount it because uh, now i'm halfway through the second book but yeah, yeah. anyway look forward to that this is going to be the end of segment one. Uh, segment one. No, segment two of the segment TMCJ two. podcast. Um, thank you all for listening, and you'll hear us again momentarily for segment three. Oh. Welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. This is segment three, uh, our wild card. And this week we are continuing the book review that we didn't finish last week. Um, God damn it. You. He threw me off. It again. wasn't even a surprise one. It was just a slow no, burner, and it he just, got you. Yeah, he just—it wasn't like a jump out. It was just like a slowly. He just, as I'm doing the countdown, just saying goofy shit. Honka bunk chunk donkalunks. God damn it! All right, so a quick, quick recap. We are uh, going over the book Red Rising, which I finished uh, yep. last week, and I'm already halfway through the second book. Um, now. Last week, we got about halfway through the book uh, to the point where they had a uh, brief synopsis. Uh, society tiered in terms of cast, and each cast is uh, is a color. So red, green, blue, violet, gold's on the top. Um, a red, who didn't know exactly how extensive the society was, is picked up by a terrorist organization known as the Sons of Ares. They do some stuff with his body and turn him into a gold essentially do all this genetic and body modification to make him look uh exactly like a gold and you know has all the same characteristics and everything like that they train him up educate him and everything and he his job is to infiltrate gold society so he gets into this place called the institute or, or get, gets into a institute the institute of mars and it's where the upper crust of the upper crust of the golds go and if they get in uh, and they pass, then they come out uh, as a rank called Peerless Scarred, essentially the the best of the best of the golds, the rulers of society. And um, so he finds out he gets they do a house selection, a Hogwarts style house selection. Um, except twist, when you get into your house, uh, half the people are just there to be killed, 
And oh, yeah, don't you love that bit where, you know, Hermione's breaking Ron's jaw in the basement? <laughs> <laughs> she just uses that repair spell to put him back together and then beats him to death again. Oh my god, Harry Potter would be very different. Uh, so... Especially because they're kids. Yeah. Well, technically, they're, I mean, they're kids in this. I think they're, they they make a point that they go into this institute at the age of 16 or 17. Yeah, so they're not... They're not kids' kids. They're late teens. Yeah. But... What is it that... that um, It's a Red Rising quote, in fact. Um, old enough to screw, old enough to... I can't remember what their last part is. I can't remember, yeah, what the other one is. Yeah. Uh, but it, it... Yeah, it goes along with it. Yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, so we got to the crew. Old enough to crew. Crews. Oh right. Yeah, that's that's because the Reds. Yeah, the Reds. They're um, if you're old old enough to screw, old enough to crew. So they they start working in the mines at like age thirteen or something like that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so they get to the end, and Cassius, the guy who, uh. You know the the main character Darrow met the night before Cassius Albolona and the brother of the guy that Darrow made friends with on the train ride over to the institute, Julian Albolona, the guy that he had to beat to death in a dirty cell, uh, is now noticing that his brother's not here and is trying his best to figure out who uh, who killed his brother and so he tries to play a game. No one's biting, and they go off. And Darrow kind of lies so that no one suspects him. Right, of, uh, excuse me, no one suspects him, or so Cassius doesn't suspect him, because he's a son of a very powerful noble house, and also pretty much the most dangerous and highly skilled people there, who, you know, lets it be known he's a well-trained martial artist. He kills his guy by collapsing his tra uh, trachea with, like, one hit. Mm, um, he's a very good swordsman as well. Yeah. Anyway, so... They all kind of get to know each other. They sh they kind of meet some of the other characters, um, some of the major ones: Antonia, uh, Titus, Severo, Roke, um, Cassius. I already talked about. Um, there was another lady. I can't remember what her name was. Though. Honestly, the the women don't have a big part apart from Mustang. Uh, her name was, her name started with a Q. The other woman, because she she ends up being a love interest for one of the other side characters later. Um, oh yeah, um, shit. It was Brooke's love interest. Wasn't I, I wanted to say it was like Quinn or something like that. Quinn, yeah, it was like Quinn. Qu Quinn. Quinn, okay, yeah. But I mean, there there are there are like three. You're right. There, there aren't as many prominent female characters in the story. I mean, there's the sovereign who's like the queen of the golds. Well, uh, there is later. Yeah, you also later, get the um, sister who's pretty cool. But in the institute, you're right. There's only like three or four female characters of note, and there's mm. probably about double that male characters of note. But what have you? So they go through. But there's also a, they make a point. That there's also a lot fewer women in the institute. Yes. So the the ratio makes sense. Anyway, so they, they go through, they they spend their first night, uh, well, not their first night, they, they spend the next night sleeping in a much more Spartan environment, and then they are shipped off to a remote plain, or a remote valley, um, in Mar in one of Mars's southern continents, I think they say. Hang on, and, hang on, hang on. The, 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 the houses. 
have been decided by this point. They have been, yeah. Yeah, we haven't spoken about that. Oh, you want me to go back to that? Yeah, so Blue made a point that I kind of <laughs> skipped over last time, um, how the houses were actually decided. So they're in House Mars. How that was selected, it was kind of like, think like the, the sorting hat, except you have like a representative of the house accompanied by a few extra people um, that are from the Board of Quality Control, as they called it. And they go around and they make picks from all the people. And the higher your pick, essentially, the more prestigious it is. Like, they they think you're a, you're a good one to have. And mm. so they make a point that Darrow was picked 10th. The, the House Mercury people wanted to pick him, but they kind of, the, the quality control people were like, no, 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 move on. And then Mars mm. picked him. He was picked 10th out of like 500 people. And I should point out, this is not, they're not in House Mars because they're on the planet Mars. Hmm. It just, uh, all, all the all the students just get to the, divided into these all these different planets. Uh, yeah. Or gods, I should say. Yeah, it's, it's from the Roman right. pantheon, so you have like House Diana... Um, yeah. House uh, Ceres, House Pluto, House Mars, uh, House Jupiter. Pluto is just full of dogs. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're in House Mars, and it's explained by their proctor, the guy who's in charge of their house, that gives them a briefing on what they're going to be doing in the Institute. That House Mars is like, they're selected, they're the hotheads. They're the uh, the people who live like the ancient Spartans. They... They don't get given any special treatment, and just through their their fury and fortitude, they're supposed to, you know, take their uh, find their way and like win that yeah. way. And the the burns contest right, but burns shortest. Yeah. So the contest is this: every house gets a castle, every of some kind, um, some kind of place where they have to start off. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a castle, but in most cases, a castle. They get a standard. And that standard is, you know, the flag of their house. Mars is a wolf. Um, and they, if they capture other people from other houses and stamp them on the forehead with the staff, they get a mark on their forehead and they are now a slave to that house. They have to yep. do whatever they're commanded to do. Um, until they're retaken. Until they're, yeah, until they're captured by someone else or released. And... Um, the th- the, like there's nothing actually stopping them from just running off but the the if they do essentially they're a pariah when they get out of the institute they're just eternally shamed yeah dishonored and yeah. they dishonor their family yeah which in this uh culture is kind of worse than death especially when you're talking about these like high nobility like their houses it's it's made a point that like honor duels are fairly common in this world amongst the the mm. higher up goals because that that whole family and house honor is something, and it's one of the things that makes Darrow such a like an outsider because the family that they gave him, like for his history, um, they're basically nobodies from out in the asteroids, like out past mm. Pluto, and so they country bumpkins kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And so he's he's got you know he's nobility, but he's from a tiny noble house of nobodies who be- who don't exist anymore because the parents are dead. Yeah. Which is how they were able to give him that identity. Anyway, so they explained that the goal is when, basically when one house is remaining, that's it. Game over. That house wins. Um, mm-hmm. And so the goal is to be that final house. To you know outsmart and overtake your opponents and so on. Uh, so House Mars starts out. They have a castle and pretty much nothing else. And so they go out and they... Um, 
they have some i think they have some like very rudimentary equipment but it's like nothing special like well they they see a um a table laden with food and tools right and it it turns out to be a um a trap laid by house ceres mm. And so in the early scenes, they're all running around out in the, the field trying to figure out, get the lay of the land and everything. Yeah, punching so trees. Yep. I think <laughs> at one point, um, Darrow and Cassius, like, they they run down a deer and just take it down barehanded. And they're like, look, we have a meal. Yeah. Um, anyway, so after a while, things slowly... Because there's no real leader... It's established that you become the primus of your house after you achieve certain things. Um, and that's kind of rated by the proctors, the people who are overseeing this. Every house has a proctor assigned to it. And that proctor is the person who is... They're all they're always watching from this floating sky fortress they call Olympus. And um, they can choose if you've done something of merit to reward you by giving you some item of use. Like maybe they'll give you... I don't know, food or water or some kind of a tool as a reward for achieving something during the contest, like taking over another house. You can get like some sort of boon from them. Yeah, Hunger Games style. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, yeah. Sorry, just I I just want to go back to the unless you're you're going to get onto it the the trap thing because there's a quick there's a couple of significant things that come out of that. Uh, no, go back to it. I, I was I was going to move on, but yeah, what's up? Okay, so two the two major things that they find out. One is that the other houses, not only did they get given food and tools, they also got given horses. So mm-hmm. some of the houses were, from the start, been given a lot more wealth, and yeah. their house was in a far nicer place. Uh, second of all, when Darrow and Cassius arrive at the trap where the tools are, Cassius picks up, I think, a pike or a sword or something. Yeah. And Darrow picks up a a, table uh, leg. a sickle. Oh no, the sickle. But yeah, but it wasn't a sword that one of them picks up a table leg. That might have been Cassius. Yeah, it probably was. Te- so basically, they they become immediately famous amongst their their group because it was House Ceres that set the trap. So House Ceres didn't get uh, horses, but they got a ton of food. They got a bakery and like wheat fields and bread and orchards. So they got tons mm. and tons of food and fresh water and high walls. House Minerva got horses. Um, and Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get those. Food, that's, so. that's where Mustang comes in. But the, the sling blade thing was kind of the most important bit. It was, yeah. So because it, it's made a point that a sling blade is a an item that is used by the Reds and down in the mines. So they can kill these pit vipers that jump out at them or essentially slice oh, off a awesome. limb if yeah, if they get stuck. So he's used to using these curved blades, whereas the nobility is used to fighting with these razors or straight straight blades. Um, mm. And so that's why Cassius goes for the table leg and he goes for the sickle. And I think the sickle is actually being carried by one of the House Ceres people and he like like beats him or something Takes like that. And yeah. It doesn't matter exactly how it happens, but... So the, with just like a table leg and this this dull sickle, the two of them managed to kick the crap out of like five or six different people, and mm. then you know get away from the trap. Yeah, and the sickle from then on becomes Darrow's symbol. Yeah, they they start calling him uh, Reaper. Mm. Um. Anyway, so 
some things happen. <laughs> um, I won't get too deep into those, but uh, like because they're not terribly important, but there's a lot of interpersonal conflict. There's a lot of vying for who's actually in charge and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And they end up fragmenting into three distinct factions. Uh, yep. One led by Antonia, uh, one of the prominent female characters that I mentioned earlier, uh, who's kind of made out to be from the very beginning a extremely like cold-hearted bitch uh like ruthless like she'll do whatever it takes to be on top and then titus who is described as just a fucking boulder of a man if cunt. yeah oh. <laughs> well no at the, they haven't gotten there yet it's clear that he's very violent and it's clear that he's very large that's all you know about him so far but he at this point he doesn't seem to be that much of a cruel person but that does come later um and then Darrow and Cassius form their own faction. And essentially they they this is where the where you got picked in the draft kind of comes in. The low drafts, the people who were chosen later, the low and the mid drafts, they kind of kind of the, the smattering of random people, they side with Darrow and Cassius. Because they those two didn't really play politics too much. So you've got those two, two of the greatest people in the group, and kind of the dregs. And then some of the mid to high drafts go with Antonia, and then Titus gets like the high, the high, high drafts. And um, so Darrow and Cassius manage to find matches, which allows them to cook their food, whereas no one else has fire pretty much, and so they're mm -hmm. eating raw or just foraging for berries and roots and things like that. And um, this is where you start to see like a dark side to Titus, though, because after a few forays against uh, House Minerva, I think it was, and House Ceres, they do do some captures, and it's made clear that um, some of the female people that have been captured by Titus's faction are abused, let's say, to put it very yeah. lightly. Um, and that kind of enrages Cassius and uh, Darrow, and they, they make a point that they need to take him down. And so they, mm. they form, like, a, a tentative alliance with Antonia. Um, and they do... I don't remember exactly how this happens, but they do manage to essentially... Uh, oh, they, they tentative alliance with Antonia, and then they also make a deal with House Minerva, sort of. Because House Minerva yeah. was the one with the horses. And this is where the girl Mustang comes in. Uh, she's one of the other prominent. She's the head of the House Minerva, the like the leader of their. And also, faction. one other main character who is awesome. Pax. Pax. Pax Autelamanus. Yes. I'll get to him because he 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 becomes like epic in one of the fights later. I don't want to get to him just yet though. Okay. Anyway, so stuff happens. I don't remember exactly how the the chain of events goes. It's been a, a bit now. And this is always the issue with me on audiobooks. If I read a book, I typically remember things very clearly and very vividly. But if I listen to a book, I'm a lot less likely to remember the fine details. So they managed to retake the place and um, they have a big fight. I actually think this happens before they take down Titus, but they have a big fight with House Minerva. And this is where the character Blue's talking about comes in. A guy who's described as like much larger than Titus um, is is like riding beside Mustang, the the woman who uh, 
is leading House Minerva. And he's just this described as just uh, his arms are described as um, instead of having muscles, it looks like he has two boulders under his skin. Um, mm -hmm. So he's described as this giant, giant man. Like he's, he's essentially riding a war horse and it looks like a pony underneath him. Um, and he has this this habit of whenever he charges into battle, he just shouts his own name. Mm. Like just Paxal Telemanus, Paxal Telemanus. <laughs> and at one point in the fight, like he grabs Darrow and is like trying to squeeze him to death. And Darrow, like with nothing else to do, just starts kneeing him as hard as he can in the balls. <laughs> and that's how he manages to take him down. And there's a funny exchange later on when they have another conflict where he's like, when he he's like, you can hear him calling out from inside the fortress and Darrow's taunting him. He's like, was that a woman's voice I heard? My good man, did something happen to your balls? <laughs> oh, yeah. there, there's oh, some good... Oh, he's he's a fucking awesome character. Like, he's yeah. he's an absolutely awesome character. So, they managed to eventually take down Titus, and Cassius and Darrow established themselves as the de facto leaders, uh, with yeah. Darrow being the leader of leaders, and Cassius begrudgingly being his second, although he doesn't like it. And Severo establishing himself as a psychotic little monkey yes. who's very oh my clever God. and very lethal. So that was the other thing. There's another little sub-faction, the lower, the lower drafts, the kind of less prominent golds, like Severo and a couple of the other ones. They establish yes. a uh, their own little... They essentially become Darrow's special ops folks. Called the, yes. They call themselves the Howlers because they wear wolf cloaks and they howl as they go into battle. Mm. Um, and They're trained they, by Severo. Yeah, and they're absolutely insane. Like, there's one battle where they hide inside the bodies of horses to do an ambush. Well, that was, that was while Pax was fighting Darrow. It was, yeah. And then at the end of the fight, Darrow howls, and all the people who just lost the fight were like, uh, what the fuck's he doing? And, and then suddenly all around them. Yeah, they, they jump out of the corpses of horses. They were just hiding in the, the horse corpses all night, yeah, and then they, they take the castle. That's how they eventually beat House Minerva. And I was going to mm -hmm. get to that, because that happens after what I was about to say, which is oh. Titus. This was the issue. Titus, um, when they finally do take him and take him down, they need to, they feel the need to mete out justice, um, because you know, it's not... They're, they're trying to... The whole They make a point several times that this game that they're playing, the Institute, is to take the golds and teach them Take them through the whole growth of civilization. Like they're they're in the Dark Ages, and then they are making their way up to a feudal age, and then they're making their way up to a more civilized age, and then they have to develop their own justice system and whatnot. Um, and they end up they in the end, uh, Darrow ends up allowing Cassius to duel and kill Titus. Because at this point, Cassius thinks that Titus is the one that killed his brother. Also, previously, uh, Cassius, when, when the bad things were happening to the women, Cassius went to duel Tychus, lost to him, and Tychus pissed on him. Oh, yeah, that was the other thing. They, they beat the shit out of him and then peed on him. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of piss in this book. Yeah. Um, anyway. Cassius. <laughs> God damn it. No, don't, don't start. We, we were having this... Oh God! There's don't, so, don't, don't there's it. so just, many just, things just, that you can make fun of, um, or that you can meme in this book. It is a lot more serious, uh, though. So anyway, 
so Cassius uh, does a duel with him and is doesn't finish him honorably. He basically makes it last as long as he can and makes Titus suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it ends up being very ugly and it looks like just sanctioned vengeance instead of justice. And it kind of, it, it really hurts Darrow's authority as a leader. Yeah. And kind of knocks him off the, uh, the heap. But also you've gone past the, the, the Titus bit. Yeah. The, oh, the... oh yeah. Sorry. That's yeah. the other thing that he finds <laughs> out is that, um, it's made clear that there's, there's very significant differences between the the diction of the lower classes and the upper classes so for instance you know a red would swear by saying bloody hell and a gold would swear by saying gory hell and um, bloody damn and gory damn yeah bloody damn and gory damn yeah thank you and um when he's interrogating titus to see why he did this um titus goes off on a rant and then says just like he talks about somebody that he knew um, being abused in a similar way. He's like, they did it first. You know, they all did it first. And Daryl's like, who? And then he, and then uh, Titus says something like, you know, it's, it was the bloody damn golds or something like that. And Daryl's, it was at that moment Daryl realized Titus is another one just like him, a red who had been cut and stitched together to look like a gold. And that's why he was just so callous and eager to kill everyone, because he sees all the golds as an enemy. Yeah. And he realizes this is what, um, this is why, this is what they were worried that Darrow would become. They wanted him not to be an instrument of pure vengeance, but a true infiltrator, mm-hmm. uh, somebody who would think. And Titus is what the opposite of that is, somebody who is just a, basically a blunt instrument, somebody who's just out for revenge. And so that's one of the other reasons that Darrow decides to kill him, because otherwise there's a chance that he might be discovered. Um, What's our time on the clock, by the way, right now? We're at 20 minutes in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's, there's a lot to cover. I'm going to have to speed up a little bit. Yeah, no um, So they do eventually take... Uh, they don't end up taking House Minerva out... Well. They do take the house. They take most of the people and they take the castle. But they don't take the leader. She gets away with the standard uh, Mustang. Mm. And despite trying to track her down, they aren't actually able to do that. Um, also, they capture Pax. They do capture Pax, yes. Um, Pax, oh, Telemannus. I'm sorry, I just love that. I, I love the idea of just this giant hulk of a man shouting his own name as he charges into combat. <laughs> Yeah, it's very Leroy, you know. Yeah, he, Leroy Jenkins. He's he's the Leroy Jenkins, Jenkins of the book. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that happens. Um, again, they start to become a legitimate like superpower. Um, they have taken down at least two, well, two houses because they also to take down that house they used House Diana or not used them but allied with them. But House Diana betrayed mm. them, and so they took down House Diana too. So they've taken down two houses, they have a bunch of slaves, they haven't lost too many of their own people, and aside from, they have the Diana standard, but they don't have the Minerva standard because the leader got away with it. Yeah. Here's where the big twist happens, though, because there's a big rising star in the, the south and stuff like that, things are going, they start hearing rumblings from the northern part of the battlefield of... Uh, somebody, the Jackal. The Jackal, yes. Another prominent figure to rival the Reaper. 
as Darrow is being called. Uh, now, this is where things get real, though. Uh, a emissary from the Jackal comes down and gives Cassius a, uh, a disc, mm. like a hollow, and says, oh, you'll need to look at this. And Darrow gets worried because he's like, oh, shit, that might be something that's going to turn him against me or reveal me or something like that. Or reveal that, you know, I killed his brother. And so he asks Severo, his, like, the leader of the Howlers, to try and steal it off him. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. they go through and um, eventually they, they do whatever mission they were going to do. When Cassius comes back, um, he t- calls Darrow out and rides him out to the middle of nowhere. And um, Darrow realizes, oh shit, he watches it, he knows. Like, he's bringing him out somewhere to duel him, essentially. And yeah. sure enough, like, he said, oh, I didn't I didn't even need to watch it. I wasn't going to watch it. Until Severo tried to steal it from me, then I knew I had to. And yeah. he makes a point of that it's not... He says, you know, many people became an animal when they came in here. Um, but he's and he, he's like, after watching that video, I saw that you were an animal before you came in here, the way you killed my brother. Because he was completely formless, just flailing around like a gorilla, essentially. Yeah. So Cassius duels him and kicks his ass. Um, leaves him for dead. Leaves him for dead. Uh, Darrow ends up getting saved uh, by Mustang the woman that was the head of House Minerva that he let get away. And Mm -hmm. so she nurses him back to health. Um, The two of them have like a little budding thing, a romance almost. Yeah, it's a couple of people try uh, come to the camp because they're in like a forest because they're basically both exiles. Mm. And while Darrow is out, a couple of... I can't remember what house it is. They they were... were, um, Oathbreakers, people who were captured and ran away. Right, yeah. They were going to do some bad things to uh, Mustang. Yeah. So they, like, did they tied him to a tree or something? I they did. It was pretty bad. They tied him to the tree and left him there and then um, did something to allow them to be found. Like, they lit a flare or something like that. or uh-huh. They did something. Anyway, so they make their way out, and they, they manage to survive. Um, Darrow, in the meantime, the proctor of House Mars comes down and talks to him at one point. Um, uh, Mustang has gotten sick, and Darrow's out trying to find something to, to help her, and realizes he's being followed by someone who's cloaked, and it turns out it was the, the proctor of House Mars, the guy who's in charge of their house. And so he talks to him for a while, and it's in, through this conversation that Darrow learns that the game is fixed. The Jackal is the son of the Arch-Governor of Mars. So the head of the whole planet. And he's essentially paid off the Proctors to let his son win. Or fix it so his son wins. And so he's getting special treatment, special equipment. And because Darrow was rising in the ranks so fast, that's why the Hollow was given to uh, Cassius to turn him against him. Uh, So that happens. And um, he manages to, like, the, the, the one guy is like, yeah, people have seen this. People will, will offer you apprenticeship. You'll have a nice position after this. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't throw your life away. And Darrow has the exact opposite reaction. He's like, no, fuck that. I'm going to win this. I'm going to win this my way. And uh, he talks the guy into giving him antibiotics for Mustang. 
and comes up with a new plan for how they're going to win. And essentially what they do is him and Mustang go around and defeat and take all of the, um, like they find a bunch of Oathbreakers, people who have been, had the slave mark put on and then decided to say, fuck it and run away. This isn't worth, worth it. And um, so what they do is they beat them and then take their marks, put a mark on and then take the mark off, essentially freeing them. And so they end up building a ragtag, like, army out of people who have run away. Basically the dregs of the dregs. Yeah. And um, they they start doing, like, guerrilla warfare. Like, they, they wear, like, white wolf cloaks and hide in the snow and ambush people and keep taking more slaves and freeing them and adding them to the army. And by doing this, Darrow's building up this huge ragtag militia of, like, highly skilled guerrilla warriors. Yeah. Um. And they actually, it culminates in one of my favorite scenes where they, they free uh, Pax with, through a trap near House Mars. And Pax, as soon as he's freed, just goes happily swinging haymakers at the people around him. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not even mad at Darrow for, like, he's losing not, his testicles to him. Like, the moment, the moment that... um. The moment that he's freed and he realizes that Darrow is now helping Mustang, he just gives him a big hug and he's like, Oh, yeah, good man. Let's go. Reaper. <laughs> the guy is so awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so it goes on and they, they manage to take a few houses and then and then move north. Like, they've, they've got a fairly sizable force now. And his plan is, because he finds out the Proctors have to leave when... Mm. Uh, their house is gone, eliminated. And he finds out that the two houses that are arrayed against him are Jupiter and... <sighs> There's one other one that I'm forgetting. Jupiter and one other one. Uh, but they're both in the north. Yeah. And so he heads up there with his ragtag uh, group, which is becoming a, a very serious threat at this point. And they manage to take down one house altogether. Like, just wipe it off through like harrowing attacks and they're getting more and more harassment now from the proctors who are like one of them six a bear on darrow one of them yeah. like and not like a normal bear like like a, a hybrid like mutant bear. bear yeah yeah uh, all, all the animals in this entire like area are uh, have been created by sculptors they aren't natural animals yeah they're like they're all genetically engineered mm. Uh, so anyway, so he manages to get away, and despite the harassment from the Proctors, they, they manage to get through. The Howlers rejoin them, uh, Severo, who ha they had been left behind. Well, he was dead. Yeah, they thought he was dead, but it turns out he comes back and um, saves Darrow from the bear. Uh, no, 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 I mean, Severo thought Darrow was dead. Yeah, Severo, Severo thought Darrow, and actually it's revealed that once... Um, Cassius uh, came back and said, oh yeah, Darrow was killed by House Ceres or something like that. Uh, no one believed him and half the people left Mars. Not half of them, but mm. a good chunk of the most loyal people to Darrow left, including the Howlers. And so they came north and now they've all, they now he's got his elite special forces back. So they pull off a trick against the Proctors and manage to, um, Severo and the Howlers go through like a latrine pit 
to make it into the castle and they take the the one house not julia but not Ju- uh, jupiter but the other one that was against them. i can't remember the names very well yeah so they take it over and now he owns that house and then they move against jupiter as quickly as possible so that the they don't have time to stop him mm. is that the one that's the empty castle no or i say empty i mean no, no that's yeah the, the next one is the empty castle Okay. So then they make it to the house Jupiter, which is mostly unoccupied because they say there's a siege going on against another castle off to the you know the west of it or whatever. And um, there's only this small guy with kind of like a scrawny guy, ill-fitting ring, and they're like, yeah, just okay, well, whatever. You know, he'll just he agrees to surrender the castle to them. It's just like the only condition is you don't enslave us, right? Mm-hmm. And they agree. And they decide to do. Oh, it was House Bacchus. Right. That was not that was the, the the one they took before, I think, because they they have like um, barrels of what they thought was wine, but it's actually just grape juice. Um, yeah. And this is used in a trick. So he suspects this this scrawny guy that surrendered the castle, and so um, they do a, a ploy of everyone getting drunk on grape juice and and pretending, uh, to get yeah, drunk. to yeah. try and trick him and. Because he realized this guy who's pretending to be from House Jupiter is actually the Jackal from House Pluto, who is yeah. the arch arch guy's son, arch uh, governor's son. Um, and so what he does is like he he does something that he thinks is going to make him surrender. Like he stabs the guy's hand, and he's like, In "You can, they- yeah, he's like, you can walk out of here unconditionally if you just chop your own hand off," and yeah. thinking that he'd never do it, and he does it because. The jackal is named. Well, do you want to explain why the jackal is called the jackal? Yeah, because he early on in the 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 institute game, he was trapped in a cave with most of his other house, and they had no food but plenty of water. So they ended up eating each other to get out. And a jackal yeah. will notoriously chew its own limb off to get out of a trap. Yeah, and that's why when Darrow pins his hand to the table, he's like. You're a jackal. If you're really what you say you are, you will cut off your own hand, and then we'll let you walk away. And then he does, and he's like, you see, a true gold's power is not in his strength, but in his mind. What use do I have for a hand? And then he, like, he cuts his own hand off, and Daryl realizes a mistake, like, oh shit, I should have just killed this guy. Like, I shouldn't have mm. let it go this far. And at which point, one of the proctors flies through the room, throws like a flashbang grenade in, or drops one, and then the jackal picks it up, throws it, um, and goes to stab Darrow. Pax jumps over him to defend him, and the jackal just shanks the fuck out of Pax and kills him. Yeah, and then escapes. And then escapes. At which point, Darrow flies into an absolute rage. And um, he had... Oh, sorry, I skipped over a bit. The Proctor of House Mars comes to warn him again that this is a bad idea. At which point Darrow tricks him, stuns him, knocks him out, and steals his grav boots, which are like these, basically, think like jet boots. Does he get his razor as well? He doesn't get his razor, but he does get that that finger ring back that he got as a gift. It's Uh, like a, it's a ring that has an extendo blade in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Darrow goes chasing after the guy who, um, the guy who... Drop the grenade. That one of the proctors, the uh, proctor of House. I want to say it was House Jupiter. I think it was Jupiter. Yeah. Anyway, so he he chases him down and just in a fit of rage, like manages to get up close, tackle him, get underneath his shield, and like 
stick the blade right through his like the eye slit in his armor and like you know twist and kill the guy at yeah. which point well, they were like hovering in the air above a mountain yeah exactly it was like and it was like i, I in my mind when i was listening i was picturing it in the middle of a storm too just because it would have been even more of a metal scene yeah and uh so they could take his grab boots <laughs> and they use that to to essentially storm olympus so Darrow's like, fuck this, we're not playing your games anymore. And he takes his whole army up to Olympus, and they go room by room and just, like, take people out there. Like, they take down the Proctors, the ones that won't surrender, they kill. The ones that will or that are defeated, they they knock out and tie up and stuff. Uh, a mm -hmm. few of them are really good-natured about it, too. Like, the Mercury one is like, oh, look at that's this. The, that's the crazy guy, isn't it? Yeah, the Mercury guy is the, the happy guy that almost uh, recruited him in the yeah. beginning. Yeah, and he's just jolly about the whole thing. But he still fights him. He still fights him, and Darrow's like, ah, uh, I can't risk you actually being better than me. And then he just shoots him in the chest with a stun gun, and then ties him yeah. up. And it's funny, because even after he shoots him in the chest with a stun gun, the guy's in the ground, like, in pain laughing, and he's just like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's yeah. just still very good-natured about the whole thing. Um, yeah. And the gods weren't expecting that. Like, those two of them, I think they're like, just finished having sex or something and yeah, they come no, into the room and they're like yeah. it was one of the uh, one of the female proctors she was just like she had just had a bath she was laying in, in a bathrobe with a glass of wine just watching oh, right, some yeah. footage or something like that um and it's heavily implied that she was banging the guy that he just killed the jupiter proctor yeah um anyway so they take olympus and then he realizes, and then he sends Mustang off to take down the Jackal. Hmm. And it's at this point that um, the Mars Proctor, the guy that he had been, like, he had tied up, and the guy that had been kind of reluctantly helping him up until this point, because, and who had let him know about the, the bribery and the corruption the, and how the game was fixed, reveals to him that Mustang is actually the twin sister of the Jackal, the guy who had escaped and the guy who was the Archduke's son and he goes like oh shit she's gonna betray me and then they're gonna come back against me with an army mm -hmm. and so he flies down breaks the siege on house mars that was happening um takes like frees some people meets back up with cassius who is like haggard and like worn and all his old friends who were still with house mars greet him roke being one of them who's barely a skeleton of a man at this point and just hugs him and like oh it's so good to see you again darrow Cassius, mm. on the other hand, is like gives he's, up. He's become like a bitter old man at this point. But before he gives up and leaves, he like like sucks some blood off of a scab on his hand and then spits it in Darrow's face and then says like you know after what you did, know that this is a blood feud. Don't think that you can ever be in a room with me and breathe the same air as me and not have it end with yours or my death or something like that. And so it's just like, and Darrow's like taken aback at the, the, the pure venom in his voice. Um, and finally, as they're leaving, they get back to Olympus and they're trying to, like, he's basically, he went down to Mars to try and recruit an army to fight against the army he thinks Mustang is going to bring against him. And then what does she come back with? Her twin brother, tie, like, bound and gagged and just tosses him on the ground. She's like, hey, I got him. Yeah, naked. Yeah. And so, um. It's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, 
they do make a point though in the book that like golds are supposed to be above nudity they don't they don't see a problem with it they don't care true, true. they're they're too far above such petulant mortal things yeah um anyway uh, and so that ends it he won the game and for the first time in history um the students took olympus and so he yeah. became comes like an instant celebrity the the oh, hang on sorry the uh several in the audio logs yep good point so there's a uh point where like all of the rings they're wearing all contain nano cameras and microphones there's cameras all throughout the arena so this is all being watched and recorded um, the way that the proctors were able to cheat is they can edit the footage before they send it out to the rest of the solar system. Um, yeah, the solar system's all watching everything that has happened. Yeah, it's like it. Like it's it's a very out. Hunger Games esque sort of thing. And the reason they yep. watch is they're they're looking for potential students, people that they might want to take on as an apprentice or something like that, and mm -hmm. bring into their household. Um, so he realizes that there's a couple different things that they'll need to edit out. So he asks Severo to go in there, take the footage, trim it down, edit it, and basically show, tell the story they want to be told about how they're, they were wronged and now they're the victors and stuff like that. Uh, they were only, you know, fighting back against people who were trying to cheat them out of their, their rightful victory. And so Severo goes in there and he does that editing. And in the meantime, while that's happening, the people who are in charge of the tournament or I say tournament, the, the institute, the game, they all show up you know, with a big coterie of people. The arch governor of Mars is there, the guy whose son is now naked, bound, and gagged on the floor. Um, <laughs> uh, he shows up along with a coterie of the, the highest nobility, and they all kind of chat and talk with each other. And the, the funny thing is they don't see, Darrow was thinking he was in trouble, but they don't seem to give a shit about the proctors he killed. It's just, they're just, it's, the, the golds are very much Darwinian survival of the fittest. Like, if they weren't strong enough to beat a student, then they should deserve to die. Like, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, anyway, Severo comes back out, and he says something very ominous that kind of implies that he might suspect what Darrow is, but nothing overt. Because um, when... Darrow killed the Jupiter Proctor that when that, that fit of passion when they're fighting over the mountain in the like in the sky he shouts um you know, well, he shouts bloody damn at one point again that being set up as something that golds just don't say it's just it's a very weird turn of phrase in fact even Darrow's mm. name is not a typical name for a gold but he wanted to keep it when they changed him and so everyone always comments Darrow that's a very off-color name um, anyway, so all of this happens and, uh, the arch governor of Mars kind of has a quiet word with Darrow and offers him the chance to join his household, uh, just in exchange for just don't, you know, don't say anything about this. Don't say anything about the, the bribery and the, everything like that. And this works for Darrow because Darrow's like, he, he needs to gain power and gain prominence in society so that he can achieve his mission. Of taking and just down. a reminder, this is the man who sacrificed his wife to death. Yes, this is the same man that condemned his wife to hang and watched yeah. her hang. Um, and was very cold and callous about it. And this is this is a, a really good point about Darrow's character, is that he is willing to essentially bend the knee even to people who are 
who he loathes, who killed his wife, like the only reason for living, destroyed his life as a red. Um, and he's willing to do that just to like achieve his greater, like he's got an eye on the end game and he's not going to let him, aside from a few fits of stupidity, like he, he does always, he's got his eye on the long game and that, that I love him as a character for that. So, yeah. Anyway, and that's where the, that's where the first book ends. Um, with him joining, uh, what was it? Augustus Al... Ar- I've got Fabio in my mind now, but I know it's not. Um, is it Arcos? Alun? No, not Alun. No, Alun is the Sovereign's family. Yeah. Um, God, I've forgotten. It's been too long. Uh, but also, House Bologna is there. Yeah, House Bologna, and it's established that Cassius's house, House Bologna, they are bitter rivals with mm. the, uh, the Arch-Governor's family. Like, bitter bitter rivals like if there's any chance we can get to kill your family we're gonna do it especially because we all they all know that he killed julian and julian was like their their mother's favorite child he was was like the the sweet younger brother that everyone loved and doted on yeah um and uh yeah and the the Bologna's have like a whole bunch of brothers and sisters like it's a big family yeah they have even more reason to hate Darren they're just kind of glaring at him at the, in that um ceremony yeah so anyway that's the, that's the end of the first book we are pretty far over on time but I do want to <laughs> have just a a quick like discussion of the book as a whole um so this is going to be a long podcast you know if you stuck around this long hopefully you enjoyed it but um yeah so thoughts fantastic fucking book i well i mean i agree with that i wouldn't have finished it in a week if i didn't think that that's very obvious based on the fact that we've talked about it for like over an hour now total Mm. uh almost two hours probably (laughs) over the two podcasts um so i obviously listened to it in audiobook format and a lot of the scenes where Darrow was putting together his guerrilla force and like, you know, the battles that they were going through on that, I was listening to like while I was running and I was finding myself setting like a better running pace just because I'm like, oh man, I'm getting amped yeah, just pump. listening to this. Yeah. Like, and all, all, so Severo and his group are just, they're one of the coolest things. So mm-hmm. they are the, they were like the worst scorers in their team. Severo was like, bottom 5% of the people in the exam. He only got three because he murdered the top guy in a ruthless fashion. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Severo... But Severo's so, like, fucking insane in the eyes of all the other golds. He, like, hunted wolves. He wore their pelts. Mm. Uh, he took on animalistic um, characterizations. And because he was, like, half the size of the other golds, yeah, you're sure. Um, it's it's made clear that like the like the high golds, the the really the the high tier golds, they're like well over like two meters tall. Yeah. So like the for 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 the American audience out there, um, like two meters is like that's 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 over seven feet tall. You're like you're that's you're, six foot six. Is it six foot six? Yeah, because I'm 195 centimeters. Huh. Yeah, I honestly I thought think it was taller. Than that. I'm six foot five. I don't know. I always um, thought it was. I always thought it was taller than that. But yeah, but essentially, they're all well. The the high tier golds at least are pushing seven feet tall. So big, yeah. well muscled, extremely tall. Severo is just a mere like I don't know, 
you know, 5'11", 6 feet. Like, Still a lot bigger than Darrow when he was a red. They, they make a point at some, at one point in the second book that uh, Severo, like, Darrow realizes that, you know, he thinks of Severo as, as short, but he's like, he would have towered over me as a red. Mm. Uh, and all his followers are equally, like, they, they have, like, comical names, like, mm. was it Shitbag or something? Was one of yeah, them. Severo is referred to as Goblin. Yes, that's true. And uh, all of the, all of the howlers have these uh, like shitty names, yeah, uh, kind of poking fun at their their features. Um, but it's it's kind of part of their character. They're they're like the low yeah, of the low, and they and they fight dirty, like that's yeah. their thing. And they be later on in the the books once they actually get out into the world, they become Darrow's actual special forces. Yes, uh, and they grow. They grow a bond that you don't really see from any of the other characters. Like it's a very not gold thing. Yeah. Um, well, and they make good. they make a point over and over in the book that what Darrow did by assembling a militia from different houses of free people and not slaves was very weird. Mm. Like it just it just wasn't done. Yeah. And he like inspired loyalty that way. Because yeah, he gave people an opportunity to earn their. Um, on her back and so a lot of people were going for that my god man you're gonna take his gory damn head off so yeah so there's um, I think four or five books out at the moment The um, I kind of consider it the first trilogy and then the stuff that comes after because uh, it tends to be it's a, it's a good way of breaking down the thing so I don't know Maybe in a month's time we might talk about um, the second book, Golden Sun. Yeah, that's the one I'm on right now. And again, I'm halfway yeah. through it. Um, I'm having, I'm enjoying it so far. I like the. I, I I did hit a point where I was like, oh god, I was doubting. I was having some doubts as to whether I was going to enjoy it, and then Daryl came back, my man. Yeah. <sighs> uh, and it goes uh, for, after the first book. So the first book's all kind of. Uh, confined to either it's basically confined to Mars but yeah. from the second book onwards it expands yeah, vastly yeah. so far like, in the second book yeah it's it's what happens after that they're they're into wired, wider society that's interplanetary they've already been to exactly. like Mars the it's moon no Ganymede yeah they're all it's over fucking the solar system battle cruisers <laughs> anyway that's just a spoiler for, for a month's time I guess yeah well all right, let's let's not drag this on too long. We're at oh god, at the end. I think there's there's no need to really say anything. I think we both thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, you obviously enjoyed the book because you were pestering me to read it for so long, and for I've good read reason. It many times. Yeah, I have books like that that I've reread quite a bit. All right, let's call it an end. This has been an extremely long episode of the TMCJ podcast, episode forty-seven. <laughs> hopefully, you enjoyed listening, um, and hopefully, you'll tune in again soon. We'll see you next week for a quiz.